0: All right. So what are we talking about today?
1: So we're talking today about how to not being a rechart. I'm Michael Jakubiak and I'm a founder of a company called Security Cybersecurity. My mission is to improve neurodiversity hiring. And we will be discussing today how to not be a recharge for neurodivergent individuals. How about that?
0: How to not be a what a Richard. How to not be a Richard? What in life? Or at work or in are you talking about how you You can look after your employees better. What aspect of not being a Richard should we focus on? There are so many.
1: We should talk about how to not being a Richard in the workplace, but also outside. Think about a couple of examples. Because, you know, at the end of the day, not everyone will be a Richard. Or not everyone is a Richard all the time but how to not be a recharge for neurodivergent individuals in general, if you can think about a couple of examples.
0: So, yeah, I don't know if you, how you, uh, if this is your podcast, man. You, t- you, you gave me. I'm, you know, it is, it is, it is my podcast, but
1: it's also my first recorded podcast as well. So you're, so it, you're aware uh, of
0: Actually, am I your first yeah. guest? Yes. Oh you. my goodness. That is such a privilege well, thank you for inviting me. Um, and you're going to love podcasting. You, you'll you'll find it a really great way to get to know people um, and to just discover more stories. So, right, I'll start. So, my name's Inga and I run Aurora Wellness. Well, okay, let me let me scratch that because we dropped the wellness recently, and I'll tell you why. It's got more to do with the Richard conspiracy theory, but. Um, Well, it's true. (laughs) Um, So I I run a company called Aurora. And uh, along with my business partner and cousin, Obehi, who is a psychologist, Aurora is a culture change consultancy. And we work with organizations to truly embed positive mental health and well-being practices into the fabric, the DNA, if you like, of their organizational culture and really we've been running for five years and it it always surprises me how few companies understand what is involved to to create the kind of environment that we'd all like to work in which is one which accepts all of us regardless of our gender race sexual orientation neurodiversity or lack of whatever it is and allows us to flourish actually um and to do our best work and that's really what I mean by the don't be a Richard thing and the reason we (laughs) dropped (laughs) the reason we dropped the wellness from our name so we were trading as a rural wellness the reason we dropped wellness is because too many people thought that if they brought us in and we did a couple of talks a couple of nice workshops or webinars that tick they've they've got mental well-being sorted and what Mm. what more is there we've got an eap we've got flexible working hours we've got everything you need and we even gave them training so we've done it right and i i i I realized that actually what they need to understand is it's about creating a culture of wellness, a culture Mm -hmm. that doesn't make your people sicker and that supports the ones who are already unwell to get well. And the reason for that is because you at the end of the day are running a business, a business that relies on Mm -hmm. human resource and humans need to feel good in order to do well. That's simply it. We call it the feel better, do better philosophy because you cannot work at your optimum unless you're feeling well. So you have to make sure that you've created an environment that allows them to feel well or to seek help quickly if they don't. Um, And yeah, it's not just about the training you offer. It's not just about having a phone number for an EAP service that you've never tried. It's about how do your line managers... It's true, though. How do your line managers treat their employees? How much pressure Mm -hmm. are you putting on your employees to meet impossible deadlines and targets? How sympathetic are you to employees who have neurodiverse or other specialists' need? It's about how you act. Or in other words, don't be a (laughs) Richard.
1: At my caps lock security training... uh, what we discussed today uh, was culture and funny you say all of this because what what, what, what we discussed was education awareness and policies but what was actually was needed to improve and understand the culture was to understanding your people and their behavior behaviors why they behave this way So on that note, I just want you to think like, have you got examples when you need to remind your managers how to deal with people in an inclusive way? Uh, This is basically how to not be a Richard.
0: Mm. Without breaking confidentialities, um, there's, I've I've got so many examples um maybe i'll i'll use a personal one so i i was i'm one of those late stage diagnosed uh, neurodiverse people hello so i was um diagnosed at the ripe old age of 40 something with adhd um and i was told yeah you're very adhd which is maybe not the most professional thing but it was uh I'm in the 87th percentile or something, but I, I, I really have a lot of um, both attention deficit and hyper hyperactivity um, challenges, right? Now, how on God's green earth do you hit over 40 and not know your ADHD? How is that possible? And what question. is the consequence <laughs> of my life um, and what has been the impact of ADHD on my life unbeknownst to me? I've been traveling this journey of life with, right? So um, I used to, before I started Aurora, um, I used to work in the corporate world, in oil and gas. It was a very high pressure, um, but I I thought great community. See, I'm, I'm one of those ADHDers who is, The reason I wasn't diagnosed is because I have developed a lot of what the psychiatrists termed adaptive strategies and coping mechanisms. Mm. I didn't know that's what they were. I just thought it was how I could do this life as best as I can. You know, I know, for instance, that my memory is shocking. So in order for (laughs) me to do something, I developed a rule. The rule is if I see it and I think it, then I do it. Because if I if I leave it and park it, oh I'll do that later. It will never see the light of the day.
1: It's or, so easy to procrastinate.
0: But I, that's why I don't allow myself to. Because I know that I will not be able to procrastinate like somebody else. I won't be able to say I'll do that later because later when it comes, I'll have forgotten that I needed to do it. Or I I live exclusively by my to do lists, which maps out pretty much every hour of the working day that I have you must do this then and do this after then I have to be organized that's because personally I'm very ambitious very driven I'm used to succeeding I come from a family of high achievers right there is no way I wasn't going to be a high achiever So when I was failing um, or even not failing, man failing to me was I got two B's and a C as a prediction for my A levels. And I had wanted (laughs) to get at least two A's and a B. So to me, I'd failed and I knew I couldn't fail in the real thing. So I had to overhaul my study. A levels was the first time I had real um, freedom to, to structure how I worked. Right. And I've, I failed at it miserably so I had to do a massive overhaul between the the march and the june so that I could make sure that I didn't achieve BBC in the finals and I did it and it was a lot of work but it was being very diligent very structured very organized religiously routined about how I revised and studied I got three A's that taste of oh. success of organization meant the same to me when I went through university and I had all this freedom to to structure my work, which is the worst thing you can give someone with ADHD, right? Ah, you <laughs> leave yourself to your own devices. So I had to employ those same techniques to make sure that I got through the university degree. And I did well. I got a first. Yay! Um, so <laughs> well, when, <laughs> when I graduated, I wasn't expecting to do anything less than that. I, I wasn't expecting to go for a, an easy nine to five job. That's fine. Um, and I was I joined a graduate scheme of one of the world's largest oil companies. It's a high pressure environment. I thrived on that. That was great for me. However, I noticed in retrospect, a lot of things that were harder for me because I was neurodiverse, even though I didn't know it, they didn't know it, so I'm not blaming them. But in order for me to do the same level of work as someone who is of my calibre but doesn't have the attention deficit issues, I have to work at least twice as long. The hyper-focus is real. The um, staying up forever and the perfectionist traits and... Uh, uh, it's all so real. So I was working extremely long hours. What that led to was burnout. Did anybody check on me? No, no, nobody checked on me. No. They loved the quality it's of the very... work, but they didn't. They didn't question the amount of hours I was spending doing that work. So that's an example of how not to manage your employees now. Now it's it is quite possible that um, if your employee or colleague is aware of the fact that they have um, neurodiversity of some sort, a need, um, that means the workplace is going to be more challenging, that they will come to you and ask for your support. But there's just as good a chance that they never will, either that they won't be aware or that they won't feel comfortable telling you because they don't want to be seen as lesser or other. So it's the same thing as if me when i was struggling with anxiety and depression caused by work in the workplace i didn't want to tell anybody i didn't want to be judged i didn't want anybody to look down on me or consider me lesser or even worse tell me that yeah you're right you are rubbish uh, so i di- i kept it to myself if you can create an environment and this is why i say culture counts create an environment where people are comfortable coming to you, whatever your position is, but particularly if you are their line manager and responsible for managing their that member of staff, that personnel, then it is less likely that you will see employees struggling with the side effects of um, keeping issues and challenges to themselves whether they're caused by neurodiversity, mental health conditions, physical health conditions, or just life in general. And that requires this this mastery of empathetic skills, the soft skills that we kind of overlook and consider to be, um, like say, we consider it to be a bonus, but not a necessity for managing people. It is an absolute necessity to, to know how to actively listen, support, care, encourage, coach your employees. That's the way that you get the best out of people. That's the way how you build trust. And that's how you get people who are neurodiverse like me and yourself to open up and share the things that that you can do that will make our working life easier and allow you to unlock the potential of that employee.
1: This actually reminds me about how we met, how we met uh, during the tech week in Manchester at the DTX event. You uh, were at one of the panel uh, discussing diversity. And I remember there was a lady uh, which raised a question about rebuilding the trust. so she was new diversity. She disclosed it to, the, to her uh, employer. To request certain adjustment and was she was completely disregarded. Employer didn't believe her. Uh, and when she changed the job, she decided not to tell her future employer and str- and, and struggle because of the broken trust uh, in with her with with her previous previous, co- uh, previous company. It also reminds me. Uh, my situation when we're talking about recharge at work Um, my personal example uh, i think it will also be worth to mention when i was suffering anxiety depression and disclosing then it was used against me uh, when i was uh, requesting further promotions and i think it's worth to mention as well that uh, even though I didn't know at that time, I, I was ADHD, uh, I knew certain ways which works for me and the way how I work, how I cooperate. Uh, and even though we had a lengthy discussion about hour and a half about uh, uh, working or not working from home, they still uh, forced me to come to the office every day, even though I explained to them specifically on the work example that it won't work so it's just like people don't listen
0: so so here's a question I have for you Michael which is how how did they go about that um, when when you say they used it against you what did they say? what did they do specifically
1: so, We had, as I mentioned, probably about hour and a half discussion, uh, and uh, they wanted to put me on a uh, they they want they want me to see they wanted to see me every day in the office. And even though I explicitly explained to them uh, that it won't work with uh, if they if they want to help me, this would work against that, and. that was disregarded completely, even though we discussed it for hour and a half. And even though there were right policies in place and the policies said that uh, working from home is under discretion of the manager, so we, we could, he could even allow me to work every day from home. He had this, He had this power because that's because our policies were inclusive. But manager in that particular situation acted like a recharge
0: polite we're being like this is a family show i mean and that that's exactly my point because you didn't feel safe to open up to your new employer because you had been burnt before right and they had not shown you in the time that you were there that you can trust us we have all the structures in place to support you we have you we've got your back michael um you don't tell them you don't tell them the challenges you have. And then when you hit a snag, what happens? They won't know how to properly manage you. So it it seems like a small thing, like don't be a Richard, but it's it's critical because it really... Prev- it, th- this thing about trust and reward... Um, well, trust and loyalty is the right word, really uh, is what is the difference between an average employee and an employee who excels. An employee who punches in and punches out and one who will go over and be over and above to meet business objectives. And we all want the latter, but we've got to treat them in a way that allows that to come out. And what do, and it's to me, it's really straightforward. I don't, I know um, that neurodiverse people actually tend to be highly empathic, but but I still think it's obvious for everybody. Um, that you think, you yeah, we well, you know that, what's happening. Mm, mm-hmm, what?
1: What well, I wanted to doubt about this is this bit related to empathy that you're right, we think that everyone's empathetic, but it's actually not true it's it's a neurodiversity trait and and that's a kind of a you know extra ability we've got which we forget that not everyone's got this ability it's like uh it's like with camouflaging you know we we use camouflaging to adjust to our surroundings because we don't want
0: to stand out too much I think so um and You just need to to put yourself in someone else's shoes and say, if if I want this employee to deliver the best, then I have to make them feel valued, respected, heard. And you were completely disregarded. And even if, as HR, I'm saying there is um, a policy that all employees work from the office five days a week, regardless, then I need to be thinking why why does that policy exist and why can we not work with individuals who need it to have exceptions okay michael we do need to see you a couple of times a week in the office so that x y and z but the rest of the days yeah you can work flexibly why is that not a possibility
1: that's a good question and you know what was there in the terms was in the con was that it's always down to discretionary of the The managers always decide how many days the employer should be in the office. So I then decided to challenge my manager and uh, uh, ask him why do you want me five days in the office? And trust me, he didn't give me the answer which was rational. He was basically basically a in this particular scenario. So what is worth to add to what you said is that actively listening, that's what we need from our managers, from our leaders. And we need to remember in the same time that not everyone knows is neurodiverse. Uh, Same like you and me, we discover like why I was well over 30. You said you are over 40 when we discover you're neurodiverse. And employers need to remember that. But still, we know each know ourselves. You know when you cooperate with yourself, when you're easy, you create your coping mechanisms. You know how you work. That's why I knew I won't be working in this particular scenario. Well, forcing forced to be in the office because to the extent you know, I knew what to do to get the best out of me, and that's what I try to pass as a message, you know, we, we need to do things to get the best out of us, regardless, we are neurodiverse or neurotypical. And it's what's difficult about it is the fact that we are in an environment dominated by the uh, straight neurotypical man. And that's a framework of, of environment we're living in. So we need to do something about it. We need to create some cultural shift to put in regards neurodivergent individuals as well to this equation. I know it's easy to say that, uh, especially when we're living in the world, that 80% of the population is like this, Uh, but the starts needs to start somewhere.
0: 80% of society in this country, I might stress. But, yes. uh, uh, and uh, 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 I don't even think it's that much because there's quite a large w- working female population. But still, I agree. Most of, the, most of the world <laughs> is neurotypical. We'll, that will probably be the case for generations to come. I, it's not a problem. But here's the thing. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we did not have the technology that we have today. So it wouldn't even have been possible for you to work from home. Fine. But we have the technology now. We've got driverless cars. So why can we not employ the technology which proved to be successful during the pandemic to afford those who need extra care, extra attention, the support they need so that their natural genius can shine and I don't see why that's a challenge but this whole don't be a Richard thing is kind of two-way I'll be honest we do need to say what we need from them and I, and sometimes that can be challenging because of um, a neurotyp- neurodiverse people struggle um, at times with communicating with certain people particularly people they don't trust, or understanding how to communicate effectively and therefore tend not to. I'm I'm the mother of two autistic children with varying levels of challenge, and so I I understand that. However, we need to feel, to understand that it's our right to express what we need. And if we don't, but we don't offer any reason why we won't comply, it, it does become harder for companies to, um, to make the adjustments. So it's a two-way thing. They need to create an environment where we feel comfortable enough to say, without having to say, I'm autistic or I have ADHD, but just to say, I find working in the office with so many different people working in an open plan space to be distracting for me, as I have proven over the last X number of months, I work very effectively from home. I'd like to continue doing so. That, that makes it a much more compelling argument rather than I just don't want to be in the office. Um, but but genuinely, I think um, employers should, should try to be more flexible and n- not be so rigid. It is so easy to manage people who are all in one location doing the same thing in the same way. But we have evolved from that. Employees are, de- are demanding more. What we're asking for is to be treated m- m- with, it, with, with bearing in mind that we are individuals with individual needs and so be treated with flexibility and respect. Um, and employers who are not doing that are the ones who are struggling to retain and attract top talent because other people are willing to allow us that, that grace that affords us to be our true selves.
1: Beautifully said, Ngozi. Uh, I was speaking to one of the senior security analysts. Um, the lady was autistic. And uh, I remember when we had a conversation uh, about looking for an extra role, she was willing to take a 20,000 pounds pay card just to get to the to the organization which is inclusive which know how to deal with neurodivergent individuals an organization when there's probably not many reachants. I think what is worth to add in here that uh, why she mentioned that is that she communicated the adjustment which are needed for her so she can perform at her best and still she was disregarded and you hear this example and sometimes it's difficult to believe that the organization still works this way even if someone communicates you what adjustments are needed to get the best out of people. It's like it shows a massive way which is in front of us. And I think it's worth to mention that it feels like sometimes people don't understand what neurodiversity is. So. And what neurodi- not what to, what it means to be neurodivergent. So I think at this stage it's worth to mention. It's just it's just the different different processing information. So connection between our neurons process information slightly different. And and that's it. That's why that's what we, what we need to remember. And it's not about like we're being different, it's about we just process information differently. It's like thinking about having a different brains and working with different brains and then translating it into a working environment. When you've got different brains, loads of different brains, you you will populate much better results because you've got much more different points of view and different experiences brought together. That's a massive benefit of thinking about diversity and neurodiversity in particular. We know perfectly uh, what to do to get the best out of the neurotypical uh, brains, because that's what our society is geared to. So why we want to do things to get the best out of, out of the neurodivergent brains?
0: Well, and the best companies aren't. There are some organizations like the BBC is um, doing some amazing work in their Manchester office um, on how even to construct the workplace um, in a more neurodiverse-friendly way, how things like I used to, I used to beat myself up because I have a rubbish sense of direction, and before satnavs, yes, I am that old. Before satnavs were de good, <laughs> I mean, I panicked before I'd go somewhere I didn't know really well because I know I'm going to get lost and people would be like "Well, just take a map I can't read maps I I struggle with reading maps I it doesn't mean anything to me I don't know if you find it the same it's apparently it's a a trait (laughs) but this office makes it really clear with how to get to This BBC office makes it really clear how to get from one department to the next with active life signing, which is so easy. Instead of going to turn June left or having weird numbers, it's just pointing you in arrows. I haven't been yet. I can't wait to go and see. Um, But there are companies who are, are doing that. Instead of having all open plan offices, which work really great for some people, They have got these quiet booths for people who get sensory overload and they can work in a space that is soundproofed for as long as they need to. I mean, there's lots of concessions a company can make to make the life of whoever works. And this is, I I always think um, if you're in HR, it's really a lot of pressure. Oh, so I have to look after Neurodivergent and neurotypical. I have to look after LGBTQIA and straight people. I have to look after black, white, Asian, everything people. I have to worry about men and women. I have it's women. so hard. There is there's a new cause being championed every day, right? I get it. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. If you are actively listening to what people need regardless of what particular flag they're flying you listen to those individual needs and create as much flexibility as possible not saying give everybody everything because certain companies have to have certain non-negotiables and they are They are cultural-based or industry-based or job-specific-based. I understand that. But creating flexibility as much as possible, if you hire the right people, then it doesn't really matter what flag they're flying. Just listen and respond, regardless of why it is I want to work from home three days a week. Is it because my husband has left and I've got to manage the kids pick up and drop off from schools and all of that stuff? Or is it because I um ADHD or autistic and i get sensory overload what is it doesn't matter but i should have access to the same ability to do that unless you can tell me why not and if you say because actually most of the work that you do involves your colleagues and there needs to be a certain dynamic and interaction between you guys live but what we can do is accommodate that so you work half and half fine that's a compromise but but the rigidity of the way that the old workplace used to be, the pre-pandemic workplace, has got to go. It's got to die. Because we as a, as, a, as a species, we've evolved, we've moved on. Technology has moved on to support yeah. us. It's time for policies, procedures and expectations in the workplace also catch up.
1: When you said before about that you're able sometimes to work very long and there was no one to remind you about it. And that, that, is, that is something I think about us that very often we will be ambitious. We will be dedicated, maybe that's the better word, uh, to produce amazing results. And I think it's a way for employers to understand that if they do things right, they will, they will un- unleash an amazing potential which sits in us and sits in people uh, just in the matter to find out how to get how to actively listen to people to understand what to do to get the best out of them because there is unleashed potential which we are both a ex- great example of producing brilliant results because we're dedicated and focused with this is also worth to remember that not everyone knows is he's neurodiverse. 50% of uh, people doesn't know, don't know they're neurodiverse. So you should be aware of it. When you look at your team and uh, you've got someone who's acting slightly different to put him back in line with the rest of your team, it doesn't matter. You ne- it doesn't mean you need to do exactly the same what you did so far. And it's because uh, this pe- it it won't work for this person. That's probably you've got a problem in a, in the same in the same in a, in the first place because you've got exactly the same approach. So there is this Einstein saying, which is really always sits in my mind, and it's I think drives loads of things in my life. Is if you, or say it differently, only a silly person will think that. By doing the same thing, you will produce different results. And that's what it is. If you've got an employee which acts slightly different and doesn't respond to your usual action, that means that the process you had doesn't work for this person. And it's maybe because it's neurodivergent individuals, maybe because there are some other challenges you don't know about, but that should shows you, that open, sh- should open your mind to think about different solutions, how to approach uh, how to approach an employee, how to approach other individuals.
0: mm mm-hmm. I, I I think that's a really a, a really excellent <coughs> point. I mean, hmm I'm not advocating that line managers become experts on spotting neurodivergence and spotting and diagnosing mental health conditions and spotting um people who are um, different in any way and trying to come up with a label for them. It isn't necessary. All you need to say is, who do I have in front of me today, Michael? Tell me what you need to work at your best. And I'll tell you how I can accommodate that. Because you picked this employee for whatever reason, whatever it was that made them shine through the recruitment process to become the final selection, they were picked for a reason. You just want to see that same brilliance come through in the work that they are now paid to do for you. So why can't we start with asking them what works well for you? How do you do best.
1: Here it will be worth to remember about that sometimes people not will be able to tell you what will work best for them but they will perfectly know what won't work for them. So that's another way of formulating the questions to understand people. Because if they, as I said, if they won't understand what works best, they probably will know what won't work for for them. And that's also another way to understand and approach this topic. If you would have to name one thing which doesn't work for you, what would that be in Gazi?
0: I, uh, I don't, I can't work with woolly. Woolly means don't say, uh, don't. I need exact dates, times, places so that I can plan and stick like that. Um, I need concrete expectations. So I know I'm working with, because if you don't give me those things, if you say, oh, just get it done whenever, I will take you literally and just get it done whenever. And then whenever. you come back. You come back in like three weeks. Oh, have you got that done? Well, no, you said to get it done whenever. When, and <laughs> when is whenever. Um, so I need clarity of expectation because, yeah, I do tend to take things quite literally. Um, and then I need to feel trusted and rewarded for the quality of work that I produce. I think that's it. Um, I'm quite good at managing self. Um, I'm very good at managing others too. But I need to feel trusted in order to do that. Like, uh, yeah, this is the direction that we're going in. Uh, we're on the same page. Leave me to it. And they reward me because I've done well.
1: <laughs> That's cool. There was actually one thing which very resonated with me as well is uh, when you said that you need precise things and you understand things literally. This is what it is and there is something about the uh, british politeness and uh, politeness in the language which sometimes makes it difficult what people actually mean <laughs> it's like remember to be mindful towards neurodivergent individuals because then they will produce a brilliant result
0: <laughs> oh, This is something that I've learned over my 44 years on this planet is um, people always used to say, oh, you're very blunt. Oh, you're very blunt, Ingazi. Very direct. She's very direct. What I've learned is, um, yes, I'm blunt and direct, whether that's because I'm African, because I'm ADHD, a combination of both, or just me. I don't know. I don't care. I don't have time to try and figure out. Well, when Michael said, Hello, how are you? Uh, did he really mean how am I, or did he mean <laughs> no? Just say nothing and say I'm fine. Or did he mean was he really? I don't have time for that. I do not have time for that. Um, <laughs> and that's probably in the new Third version. Do you know what I mean? I don't. I don't have time for that. So what I have learned to do <laughs> is to be um, core. Ca- not, I won't even say cautiously direct. Carefully direct. I have one rule. The rule is. You can say it so long as it doesn't hurt or upset anybody. So as long as you, you, I wouldn't find it hurtful, then I can say it. So if I, if you say how are you, and I like and trust you, expect a proper answer. It's not going to be I'm fine. It's going to be well. To be fair, I'm Do not, you not really sure. Want to well. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be direct. And similarly, um, if you ask me uh, my opinion. I'm going to give you the honest truth opinion. and I'll deliver it in a way right. that's not hurtful with, and not too blunt. I mean, as I said, my kids are autistic. They can be brutal in their bluntness. <laughs> brutal. Um, but I know it's not meant with malice, I think. Um, but I, I, I maybe have a little more nuance in the way I speak. Eh, I did prefer the blue one rather than that looks ugly, you look like a sack of poop. Um, But (laughs) if if you ask my opinion, I'm going to give you the honest answer. And uh, I think if we remove the 100,000 layers of subtext that we've implanted into the English way of speaking and being, then it makes life much simpler. People know where they stand with me. I I think that makes it easier. And 99% of the time, I like people. I really genuinely do. So it's not hard for me to to be direct or be kind and um, and still honest and open. But it also gives permission to do the same with me. And I just find that a much easier way of going through life. So I don't try too hard to follow the societal norms in that regard. I will just... I'm that person who walks up to a stranger on the street and says... I really love that necklace that you're wearing. It brings out the blue in your eyes and just <laughs> I just wanted to say that and then walks off. I—and I, What's wrong with doing that? But you, you don't know the thing. And? <laughs> it's ki-
1: It's kindness. Kindness what it is. It's kindness, you know, that's what it is. That's kindness as well.
0: It's something that I teach people um, in the well-being space when we're doing that work with them. It is just making a stranger smile is is such a simple thing to do. And it it it's it just gives you so much joy back. But it is it does take it's that bluntness. I just if I'm if I see it and I think it, then I do it. Well I don't well, anyway. <laughs> that's my philosophy on life, man. And uh, all you neurodiverse people who want to steal it, feel free.
1: One last thing uh, before we finish. If you would need to give if you could give one advice to the hiring managers and to neurodivergent individuals,
0: what would that be? It'd be the same advice to both. Trust each other right trust is the single most important element i think of any working relationship it's often overlooked overlooked and misunderstood i would i start on the basis of trust maybe that's naive but it's the best way for me to work so trust that your employee is there to do a good job because 99% of people are so like i said Give them as many tools as are within your power so that they can do that, which means asking the questions and not making assumptions. It means checking in and finding out if they're fi- if they're finding something difficult, ask them what's the challenge and see how you can help because it like you said, it might be that that they're not comfortable coming forward with um, the challenges presented to, to them by being neurodiverse. So ask them, would it help you if we were to do this meeting at a different time? Would it help you if you were to dial in for this one? Would it help? Just trust them that they want to do a good job if they are given the tools and the structure and processes necessary to do it. And then as an employee, trust that your your manager isn't a Richard. Most people are not evil Donald Trump's my exception. Maybe Wallace Johnson too. Most people are not (laughs) evil, right? They don't want horrible. They're not setting out to be a dick. They are just under incredible pressure, ignorant of what they should be doing, unaware that it's their responsibility, blah, 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 blah. Help them to learn as much about how they can better manage you as possible and sometimes it won't work and sometimes they'll continue to act like a Richard and then you have to go around them and go to HR but start on that basis of trust that listen I find this works best for me is there an issue with that here um is it okay if I and in turn I will trust there you go
1: On this note, uh, I would like to thank you Ngozi for taking your time, for sitting with us today, uh, speaking with me. Uh, it was a very nice, refreshing conversation. It was lovely speaking to you and hopefully speak to you soon. And I hope you all enjoy uh, our, my first podcast. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And wish you to not meet Richard in your life.
0: thank you I really hope that all Richards stay well away from me because I bite (laughs) thanks Michael